um, Nehemiah. We're reading Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah is a fantastic book. All books in the Bible are fantastic, aren't they? Some are easier and to grab a hold of and have an impact for us, and Nehemiah is certainly one of those for me. It's a great book about the principles of leadership, about following God in a fallen world, and about how to respond to the inevitable opposition that will come. And certainly when we hit chapter 4 of Nehemiah, the NIV heading is Opposition to the Rebuilding. And it's a chapter which is um, highlighting this truth. And so, of course, that's going to come out in the message. But the truth of that song is that even in the midst of opposition and conflict and difficulties living in this fallen world, that Jesus is our cornerstone and that we are built on him. And that in the midst of all difficulties and even in the midst of weakness, he is the one who is strong and he is the one who is achieving his purposes. Let's read God's word, Nehemiah. Uh, Amelia, just correct me. Am I reading the whole chapter? What am I reading? Verses 1 to 23. Thanks. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? If even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down that wall of stones. Nehemiah then prays, Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. It's a lovely prayer, isn't it? So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their hearts pause button just push the pause button when it says we rebuilt the wall to half its height archaeologists have discovered Nehemiah's wall that he was building on um, and assuming this is accurate and correct the width of the wall is nine feet that's about from me to that column that's about nine feet three meters that's how thick it was and it's taller than our ceiling so to half the height is about three or three and a half meters high already it's a substantial structure that the people are building stone upon stone and wedging them together we rebuilt the wall to and it reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart but when Sanballat, Tobiah the Arabs the Ammonites and the men of Ashdod heard the repairs of the Jerusalem walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed they were very angry they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem to stir up trouble against it but we prayed to our God, posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people of Judah, in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble, we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them, we'll kill them and we'll put an end to this work. And then the Jews who lived near them came and they told us, 
over 10 times or 10 times over, again and again, whenever you, re- you turn, they will attack us. In other words, when you head into the city, they're going to attack us, we're exposed. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posted them by families with their swords, spears and bows. And after I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons and daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall and went on, each to his own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows and armour. The officers posted themselves behind all of the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and they held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his... Uh, wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. (laughs) And then I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out. Am I still reading? I mean, I am still reading, but am I supposed to be still reading? Yep. So I go just to verse 23. Thanks, Spence. That's the end of the chapter. May the Lord bring blessing upon you, brother. Um, Then I said to the nobles, the officials, the rest of the people, the work is extensive, spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the light of dawn until the stars came out. At that time, I said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so that they can serve us as guards by night and workmen by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off their clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went to have a bath, even when he went for water. It's a great chapter, isn't it? Nehemiah is a man who lives his life intentionally under the hand of God under God's leadership, under God's provision. He is a godly man who often his early response is to turn to the Lord in prayer. He's a patient man, as we saw last week, prepared to wait God's timing on the situations for the opportunity for the door to open. He's a passionate man, certainly passionate about God's honour, God's purposes, God's city, He had a great job and he wasn't distracted from it because he was more concerned about the purposes of God. And even this project that God had placed in his heart about uh, rebuilding the wall, he was not distracted from it even amidst opposition like we're going to look at this morning. So I want to ask you before I pray, I wonder where this Sunday finds you on your journey with God, on your journey through life. Find yourself like Nehemiah under the hand of God? waiting, looking to him, asking him to open doors of opportunity or are you perhaps like Nehemiah expecting opposition and criticism and difficulties and how are you responding to that? What has God planted in your heart for you to be involved with to achieve his great purposes? This city, Jerusalem, 
was the very city where the Lord Jesus would be sent, where he would come, the announced and promised Messiah. It's in this city, just outside this city, that the Saviour would die. This is all part of the marvellous plan of God to have this city in place and for God's people to be intact so that the Messiah could come for the redemption of the world. That's what's behind all of this. And that's why there is such strong opposition to it. The evil one fighting against God's plans. We're going to look at this this morning and learn in the midst of opposition, how should we respond? That's our focus. So let me lead you in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we're again, we want to be thankful to you for all that you provide for us, our salvation, our community, your spirit, and your word. We pray now that you'll take your word and help us to concentrate, to learn from it, and to understand why you have given us this story. What are we to learn from it? Is this an example for us to follow? Is there a warning here? Are there promises for us to embrace and to continue to hold on to through prayer? Lord, shape us. Speak to us. That we might, like Nehemiah, live our lives under your good hand, achieving your purposes and not being distracted by life circumstances. We desire, Lord, your word to us this day. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week I spoke about Nehemiah was a man who was working with God, Nehemiah chapter 2. Uh, we're jumping over chapter 3, I told you I think last week. We're going to come back to chapter 3 and the anniversary. I'll do a little bit on Nehemiah 3 then. Uh, he was working with God. In the midst of working with God in this fallen world, he had to learn a couple of things. He had to learn how to wait on God. We spoke a fair bit about that last week. That in the, while we're waiting, we need to be prayerful. Nehemiah was. We need to be patient, waiting God's timing. But we also need to be engaged. We need to be planning. We need to be thinking and getting ready for when God does open the door, for when God's good hand does uh, lead us forward. In working with God in this world, we need to learn to wait on him. I wonder how you went this week. I certainly got tested in the areas of patience. I found the two slowest drivers in Queensland this week. <laughs> And after I had passed them, I went, patience. And the Lord was just reminding me. I don't know why I had the slowest drivers in the world in front of me. Um, but being a godly man and having a mission for God, I thought it was appropriate that I overtake them. So I did. You also have to learn to work with people. It's a lifelong lesson, isn't it? Nehemiah did. He had to work with an unbelieving boss. We spoke about that. He had to work with demoralised believers. We spoke about that. And we particularly, at the end of it, we spoke about he also had to wrestle with opponents. And that's where we're going to focus today. It's an ongoing theme. When God moves, when he's doing something, Satan counter moves. When you stand up for God, so does Satan. He couldn't care less. If you don't read your Bible, he doesn't mind even if you read your Bible, provided you never do it. He doesn't mind you coming to church, provided you don't actually connect and engage and worship God, just attend, go through the motions. He doesn't mind you following Jesus, provided you're not serious about it, provided you're comfortable with it. 
But as soon as you get serious, as soon as you start saying, I'm going to do what God wants me to do, I'm going to be obedient, and I'm going to speak the truth, then you're going to get opposition. Because when God moves, he counter-moves. When God is trying to do a work, Satan will do everything he can to hinder it, to distract us from it, to criticise it, whatever is our weakness or prone to. We all like to be liked. And so for some of us, that can be a great weakness because when we find out that people don't like us, that can demotivate us. And that becomes then the goal. And we take our goal off the real purpose, serving him and fulfilling the words of the Great Commission. In this world, opposition is inevitable, especially for leaders. And in some capacity, most of us are leaders at some level. You could be a leader in a church, you could be a leader in a ministry, you could be a leader of a group. If you're in a family, and particularly if you're the dad, but if you're the mum, you're a leader. You could be a, a teenager or a young person at university or school and you can be a leader amongst your friends or you're on a sporting team. In many ways, at job, at our work, we are involved in leadership. And opposition is inevitable. Sometimes we just have to learn to grow a thick skin and move on. I remember one time my daughter came home from school. It was the latter years of high school, year 11, year 12. And she, she was Miss Popular, but what I wasn't aware of is that she wanted to be Miss Popular. She couldn't cope when people didn't like her. And anyway, some of the girls in the school uh, had gotten together, this little gang, and they had said some pretty nasty things about her. She came home and she's in tears and she's devastated. And I said to her, who are these girls? She said who they were. I said, are they your friends? No. Is what they're saying true? No. And I said, okay, so these kids are in your school, in your class, but they're not your friends, they're not close to you, they're not significant to you, and what they're saying is not true. Just move on. And she did. She's been moving on ever since. She's very analytical, more so than me, and she's very quick-minded, and she will analyse a situation, and we need to do the same. If people are not significant in our life, and they're not speaking the truth about us, so what? Don't let it demotivate you, don't let it get at you. Behind that is the evil one, with his fiery darts that he's sending at you. We all want, as I said, everyone to like us, but it's not going to happen. I am the most lovable person in this church. And you won't believe this, but there are people in this church who don't like me. I can see your faces. It's just life. We have different personalities, different interests, different habits, different cultures, different tastes, different agendas. So with apologies to Bill Shakespeare, a saying that I find myself often saying that the whole world is weird, except me and thee. <laughs> and even thou art a little strange. The whole world is weird, strange, peculiar. People are weird. And even me and thee, <laughs> except me and thee, but even thou art a little strange. Let's turn to the person beside you and say that. I think you're a little strange. 
<laughs> but the spiritual truth is our identity is not found in what people think about us. That's not where your identity is found. And if it is, then you are very much vulnerable to the attacks of the evil one. My identity, our identity, is found in Christ. It's who he thinks what he thinks of us, who he thinks we are. He says, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've confessed him as Lord, you've asked him to forgive you for your sins, then you're a believer, you're a Christian, you're a disciple, you're a follower, you're his. You're made in his image. He's given you spiritual gifts and he's given you a divine purpose. He loves you, he accepts you, he welcomes you, he likes you and he wants to be with you. If I have him, then I do not need the approval of everybody. I do need the approval and acceptance of significant people in my life. I do need that. I can't say, well, I've got Jesus, I don't need anybody. That's not how he's made us. If my wife didn't like me, love me, accept me, want to be with me, I'd be devastated. It's got nothing to do with my identity in Christ at that point. There are significant people that God has in our lives. You understand what I'm saying? So you draw a circle around those who are significant. We are important to him. Our tears are in his bottle. My, our names are in his, written on his hand, carved into his book. Our thoughts are known. Our words are heard. Our needs are provided for. When we pray, he listens. When we hurt, he cares. When we struggle, he helps. We are the servant. He's the master. We are the child. He is our loving heavenly father. He loves us. And calls us to love him in response. But not everybody has that perspective. That's the perspective to have in this world, in this life. In this world, everybody has rebelled against him. And only those, like some of you, most of you, have turned from hating God and opposing him and have got yourself back under the hand of God like Nehemiah where you are acknowledging his lordship and you are seeking to obey him in a hostile environment because not everybody has, and the people that haven't returned to him are opposed to him, and therefore opposed to you. They hate him, and they will hate you. Expect it. Don't be surprised by it. That's what the scriptures teach us. We do live in a hostile environment with spiritual forces, fallen angelic beings who are opposed, they're in conflict with the creator, and therefore with us. So how do we live how do we cope what do we learn from nehemiah 4 about dealing with opposition and ridicule and attack because it does come and it does hurt what does nehemiah 4 teach us well in a sentence this when the enemy does oppose us and he surely will then we should respond with prayer we should respond with hard work stay the course don't give up we should respond with alertness vigilance alert that there is we wrestle not against flesh and blood there's a spiritual play at here and we should remain focused upon god respond with prayer stay the course keep working hard be aware of the evil one but focus on the lord and what he's doing because god is allowing this opposition chapters four to six of nehemiah certainly outlined for us if you read it through um, this toing and froing there is an advance and then there is a setback there is an advance and a setback. That happens six times between four to the end of six. This cycle is typical of the Christian life as we follow Jesus, that there is a conflict. There always will be opposition. 
the enemy will try to get us sidetracked, try to demotivate us, try to get us giving up. I don't want to say this to, I can only say it generally, but I don't want to say it inoffensively, offensively or inappropriately. I think it's always sad when followers of the Lord Jesus, through hurt and opposition, conflict and difficulties, often in the church, that their response is to give up and they leave. It's okay to leave and go to another church, that's okay. Um, not as hassled about that but I am very saddened when believers stop attending church they leave this one and they go nowhere they're outside the community of God's people that's a great loss that's a great tragedy and it's disobedience it's not God's will I'm not wanting to judge harshly people who have been deeply hurt who can't cope but take this pastorally if you have been hurt and can't cope, don't stop attending church. If this church is not the one, best one for you, then go find another one. But don't not be in a church. It's God's will and purpose for you to be part of his community. It's Satan's desire and plan to isolate you. Be aware. And notice uh, for Nehemiah, God had... Put this thing in his heart, God had opened the door, he had provided miraculous for him through the king, he had arrived, the work was going ahead. It's in a very short few weeks, they're at half the height of the wall, in fact the wall will be finished in 52 days. That's a pretty effective success rate. With all of God's will and plan and all this thing going on, God did not remove the opposition. He left it there and so too he will with us. And God will allow or use the opposition to drive us closer to him. But if we respond inappropriately, it can in fact drive us away from him. That's Satan's plan, not God's plan. If you read through Nehemiah 4, you'll find there are six different forms of attack that are going on. I don't want to talk about those in any detail, but verses 1 and 7, it's like they get it. There's anger. Um, verses 2 and 3, there's mockery, sarcasm, criticism, words. Sticks and stones may break my nerves. Names will never hurt me. It's not true. There are threats, intimidation, verses 8 and 11. There is certainly discouragement, both from the physical exhaustion of the work, but also from these rumours that are going on. There's negativism in verse 12, and there's fear in verse 14. Here are the couple of simple things I want to say. Opposition is certain. Call it whatever you like. Difficulties, conflict, it's certain. It's in this chapter, verses 1 to 3, verses 7 to 8, verses 10 to 12. Travel is coming from every angle for Nehemiah, both from outside, but also from inside. One of the things as you read through Nehemiah, you'll discover that... Um, is that 10 to 9 or is that quarter to 10? I'm not going to say that. Let's move on. <laughs> um, trouble from outside, trouble from inside. You've got Sanballat in the north. You've got Tobiah and the Ammonites to the east. You've got the Arabs down to the south. And you've got the Ashdodites from Ashdod in the west. North, south, east and west. All around him. He's completely surrounded and coming against him. 
And verses 10 to 12, it's coming from within inside. People are demoralised, discouraged, they're disheartened, they're scared, they're frightened, they've been bullied and threatened. How do you respond to all of that? Well, first, not only, but first, pray. That's what Nehemiah did. Listen very carefully to this, please. When we experience opposition, our first response will always be some emotional response. When you're criticised, when you're attacked, you're going to get hurt, you're going to get disappointed, you're going to get angry, you're going to be annoyed, whatever. That's going to be the first reaction, and that's okay. The second reaction is what's important. The second reaction can sometimes be, out of our own sinfulness, to push back, to retaliate, to hit back. That shouldn't be our second reaction. As we follow Jesus in this fallen world, our first reaction can be hurt, annoyance, disappointment. Our second reaction should be prayer. We should talk to God about it. We should talk to him before we do anything else, even if it's a narrow prayer. And I do need to say something just very quickly about Nehemiah's prayer, which he has told us. Uh, verse 4, Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Do to them what they're doing to us, is what he's praying. Let them be exiled like we have been, and their stuff taken into captivity. Don't cover up, excuse me, don't cover up their guilt and don't blot out their sins. Don't forgive them. Get them. That's what he's praying. And that sounds terrible. We ought not to pray like that, should we? Well, sometimes you should pray tough prayers. I was taught at theological college that you should never manipulate or move to remove a person from the church. What you should do is pray that God will take the person out of the church. And that works. Careful. You have to remember, though, that Nehemiah is the governor. And we don't want, and it's not appropriate for our magistrates or our significant community leaders to always be exercising forgiveness, especially against lawbreakers and invaders. We want them to act with justice. And that's the context of Nehemiah's prayer. He's not just spitting the dummy and saying, God, wipe him out. He's praying as the governor and the leader, saying, Lord, this is your plan and purpose. And these enemies are coming against it. They're against your people and they're against your plan. I want you to deal with that. Hmm. And so he prays, a bit like Jonah, I guess. He's just honest. He's peeved and he wants to tell God that. And so he does. And through the scriptures, he tells us that. Sometimes it's okay and it's appropriate for you to pray a tough prayer. For you to pour out your heart to God. He knows anyway. He wants you to be honest with him. So they prayed, but notice verses 8 and 9, it didn't stop, it just continued. Prayer is certainly a God-given way for us to cope with life's pressures. It's not a way where God guarantees that he'll remove life's pressures for us. The people then grow increasingly discouraged, and after Nehemiah prays, he examines it, and then he does this. And this is what we get to learn from this passage. A practical response or a strategy was required. In verse 13, Nehemiah takes people and he puts them in families and he stations them at the low point of the wall both because that was the point of vulnerability but it was also the point of greater visibility that the enemy on the outside looking at the walls of Jerusalem as they were going up would see armed people at all of the low points. Nehemiah was doing a visual demonstration that we are armed and we are alert. He's responding practically. He's praying and trusting God and not doing nothing He's praying and trusting God and doing his best effort. 
cooperating with God's plan and intention. And he put them in families because we always want to protect our wife and our kids and our properties, don't we? That's what Nehemiah does. He's a smart guy. Then he assembles the people, verse 14, and he says to them, don't be afraid of them, fear God. Keep your eyes on him, focus on him, remember the Lord. He's great and he's awesome and fight for your families. That saying in the Civil War, wasn't it? Um, I can't remember it now. About keep your powder dry. You know, it's have your gun, but keep your... It'll come back to me. Old age. Um, The work was difficult. The enemy was active, but God was the same. And so he also comes up with a new strategy here. Up until this point, they've been working flat out. At this point, Nehemiah said, okay, time out, let's slow down. Now we're going to work at half pace. We're still going to work a full day, but we're going to work at half pace. You work with one hand, and in this hand you'll carry a sword or a spear. And there'll be guards, so it'll be slower, but we'll be doing it together. And we're so spread out, the city is so big, that what if they come that way and we're over here? Well, I've got a trumpet beside me, a trumpet player, and when he gives the alarm, then when you hear it, wherever it is, you come running. So we're in this together, we're united. So you see what he's doing? He's thought through the strategy. He's got the people involved. He's got the people staying with their families. He's got an alarm system so that they're going to respond. They're united. They're doing this together. It's a marvellous strategy. He's trusting in God and doing his best. Nehemiah kept his eyes vigilant. Um, Nehemiah lived under the hand of God. He lived in a war zone. And Jerusalem still is a war zone. Um, He experienced this advance and setback. Success and opposition in a cycle. Um, And the opposition conflict was not only on the outside, it was also happening on the inside. For Nehemiah, prayer was crucial, but so was his practical response. He focused upon families. He united them. He focused upon God and tried to discern what God's will is. He got the people to work together and he stayed on task. If you get nothing else from this talk, take this one home with you. Never get off a train when it's going through a tunnel. When it's tough, stick it out. God's going to grow you through it. So too, we like Nehemiah, we live under the hand of God in a war zone. We will experience successes but also setbacks. We will experience conflict and opposition, both from outside unbelievers but also from inside, even from other believers. What we need to do is rely on God like he did in prayer and we need to be practical, respond to the practical situations. God's people back then were despised, even as the Lord Jesus was despised. God's people were surrounded by the enemy nations, just like they gathered together against the Lord's anointed. And God's people were prayerful, obedient, practical, as they trusted God. Our God has fought for us in the person of Jesus and was victorious. We continue the battle as his people. We, like him, will be despised and mocked. But we must focus on God's will, his call, and we must do the job that he's given us to do, to work, to extend his kingdom, to connect with him, to connect with one another, and to reach others. We can't take our eyes off the ball. That's the game. To his honour and to his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you might work your purposes out in our lives and families, 
but especially in our church, in this church. Make it clear, Lord. Help us to be united. Help us to be sacrificial. Most of all, help us to be committed and unashamed in our trust and our obedience to you. Lord, achieve your purposes. Glorify your Son, for it's in his name that we pray. Amen.